0: I'm Kyler, I'm a full-time staff member with CREW, and with me again today for this week's Tuesday episode is Daniel.
1: Hey guys, it's great to be back. Yeah,
0: thanks for being back, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today on the podcast, we're going to be finishing up our series in the Book of Acts. You know, last week, Alan talked all about Chapter 20 and 21, and today we're going to be going all the way to the end of the book, But we're going to be stopping to zoom in specifically on chapter 26, which Daniel is going to be talking about. Um, But let's get started. (laughs) Now, if you've been listening with us, you remember last week, we saw God was leading Paul to go to Jerusalem, but all of his friends, all the other apostles, they tried to stop him from going. And the reason was because there was a danger that Paul would get arrested when he was in Jerusalem. But it didn't matter. Paul didn't care about that. Like he, Paul knew I'm going to Jerusalem. This is where God's leading me. And so he goes, but what happens? Well, Paul, he gets arrested at the end of chapter 21. But picking up from the end of 21, in a nutshell, what happens next in chapters 22 through 26 is this. So Paul, he gets caught in the middle of this back and forth conflict between Jewish leaders and the Roman rulers. Mm -hmm. First, we see the Jewish leaders take Paul to the Romans and say, we want you to kill him. And then the Roman leaders, they say, I don't see what he's done wrong. Like, why do you want me to kill him? And then Paul, he answers, and this goes back and forth, back and forth in this cycle over and over throughout this entire section. Now, Daniel, personally, when I was reading this, this made my head spin. Like, it was like, to me, I was like, what is happening here? And especially, I kind of agreed with the Romans in this. You know, they kept asking, what's the big deal? Why do they want to kill Paul? Like, I kind of agreed with them on that. Like, what is happening? Well, then after I kind of, after I read it and thought through it, you know, the reality is there is so much cultural, historical, and political context going on in the book of Acts, but especially in this section. There's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. And so on the surface, we can't really fully see that or understand that, but I think it's really important for us to maybe stop for a second and talk about that. Yeah. And so Daniel, what gaps can you fill in for us about all this context? And so what is helpful for us to know about what's happening here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question, Kyler. So The context here, it can get really intricate and complex if you get into it, Um, but at the same time, it's pretty simple, and if you've been reading Acts, um, you can kind of start to put pieces together. There's a couple things that are harder to to fill in, and so what we're gonna try and do is just fill in a little bit of that context. So first and foremost, um, the Romans were this polytheistic culture, right? The Romans had a lot of different gods that they worshiped. They all thought those gods were limited. They were were just kind of like there, and so you kind of acknowledged them so that you got on their good side. So they really didn't understand what God, like Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, was about. That was a foreign Mm. concept, that there would be like one all-powerful God. That was just really beyond them. Um, And being a really oppressive military group, they were really insensitive to that. They were very oppressive, um, and their laws were not designed with the Jews in mind. And so the Jews, for one, were this really oppressed group, very, very angry. So that's kind of going on there. And with that, the Romans are kind of hearing this, and especially in, in context, they're hearing the Israelites, the Jews, um, these Jewish leaders come to uh, them with all these theological arguments for yeah. why they should put Paul to death. Right. And they're just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. They're just so confused. Yeah. Because kind of like we have today, right? We have a society where like you don't kill people for religious differences. Right. The Jews didn't come from that background, yeah, but the Romans did. Mm. And so the Romans are hearing this and kind of like we are today, they're like, well, why are we going to kill this guy? Yeah. What's his problem? So you got the Romans going on. They're kind of confused similarly to what, what we'd be confused. Mm-hmm. All that they see is... The people we're trying to keep oppressed are getting really angry and us, and we're trying to keep them calm so nothing bad happens. Yeah. For the Jews, one, the Jewish leaders are still reeling from Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Mm. This is just a few years after the resurrection. Yeah. And we read about that early in Acts, right? We know what was going on with the Jewish leaders. We know that they were trying to dumb down Christ's resurrection. It was public. It happened in front of hundreds of people. Yeah. Everyone kind of knew they're trying to dumb this down. This is kind of something that happened a year ago, two years ago. It's like the scandal that they're trying to, mm. they're trying to move beyond. At one point, they literally tell Peter, "You were just desperate to make us guilty of this man's blood." And mm. Peter tells them, "Well, it happened, right? Yeah." Um, but they're really frustrated, so they're trying to dumb this down. Um, and then in the middle of this, trying to dumb down the resurrection, trying to calm the people down, trying to persecute the church, up comes Paul. Mm. Now remember Paul was a Pharisee. Right. Paul was in the Jewish council. He was in the room with them. He was the best student of their best theologian. Mm. He was literally brilliant. So in the middle of trying to dumb down this movement, their best young mind mm. becomes a part of this movement. Yeah. He knows everything that's going on with them and he knows how to out-preach them. He knows how to out-teach them in the synagogues in their space for Jesus Mm. this is like literally their worst nightmare right so Paul just as a figure is the Pharisees worst nightmare so that's one of the reasons why they're trying to get rid of him and the way like what makes it even worse or kind of like the icing on the cake is that Paul is actually saying they need to bring the way of God like their God to the Gentiles Mm. Who are oppressing them. Right. Is Yeah. And they are just furious about that. And this is what they kind of use as the fuel to get people to kill Paul, right? Paul Mm. is their worst nightmare. They have nothing on him. They have nothing against him except... And you see this in some of the sermons Paul gives in these passages. Yeah. He mentions, I'm going to the Gentiles. God's reaching out to the Gentiles. And mm. so he uses that hatred, there they use that hatred, yeah. to stir up these riots to get him killed so they can get rid of a guy who is a political and theological kind of threat to them. Mm. And then in the middle of this, um, so, so even though Paul's not breaking laws, he's saying things that gets people stirred up to the point where they want to kill him. Mm. And the Jewish leaders even though there's no legal reason to kill him, even though the Romans don't understand, are trying to stir the people up to right and kill him. Mm. And then the Romans step in and say, what has he done? So see that going, but what makes this a real cycle is Paul. Mm. <laughs> um, so Paul knows the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish leaders. He knows their council. He was one of their best. And he was also a Roman citizen. So he knows how the Romans work. He knows how Roman law works. They can't get him for a lot of things. He's immune to most of these like oppressions that most Jewish people were facing. Mm. Paul could get away with it cuz he was a Roman citizen yeah. and citizenship in Rome it meant you were basically born in a Roman city or were born to a native Roman family or like most people in the Roman Empire you paid for membership. So think about this like immigration to the US, right? There are people who are born on US soil, so they're US citizens even if their family weren't born there. There are people whose families have always have been American for a very long time and then there are people who by their citizenship, Mm. by getting green cards and going through the whole process, right? So when we talk about um, Roman citizenship, kind of think about that in mind. Paul was a Jew, but he was born in a Roman city, so he got de facto Roman citizenship. So he grew up in both these cultures. He knows what he's doing. So this is the weird thing about Paul. Instead of, like, getting off, Paul keeps instigating these situations, Mm or letting them happen because he knows if a riot happens, he has Roman citizenship. The Romans are going to come in and defend him, and then he's going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Mm. So he keeps this going. Yeah, Yeah, he does. And so it just becomes this endless cycle of the the Jews are trying to kill Paul because he's a threat to them. Mm. The Romans step in because they don't know what's going on, and Paul's a Roman citizen. Paul gets the chance to share the gospel, so he walks right into it. Yeah. And then because he shares the gospel, the Jewish leaders try and do it again. And right. It just becomes this endless cycle, right? right? Or almost endless cycle for a couple of years, yeah. at least we're told in the narrative. Yeah,
0: that's really good. Daniel, yeah. thanks for clearing that up. And I think what's, you know, obviously there's a lot here. There's a lot of context lot of that, like I said, it's easy for us to miss. But but what's at play? We've got we've got politics. We've got power. We've got religion. Yep. We've got cultural stuff. We've yep. got just all kinds of societal things that's at play here that's maybe driving this train a little bit more. Yep. But Paul, what we see him is, he he steps right into that, and he maneuvers his way through that um, all for the sake of Christ. And so so I think that's what we see a ton in, in chapters 22 exactly. through 25. Yeah. And so, so Daniel, maybe speak to that a little bit more. What else do you think is just so significant for us to notice, even before we get to chapter 26, yeah. what's so significant for us to notice about
1: what's been happening to Paul through these trials? Absolutely, Kyler. So like... We kind of talked about this, right? So Paul is walking this tightrope. He knows the Jews are out to kill him. He knows they don't have any legal reason. He knows he's a Roman citizen. He knows he also knows that he he knows that he knows Jewish politics and Jewish culture and Jewish religion, mm. right? So he knows all these things and what so we see Paul do is literally manipulate the system so he can get as many chances to share the gospel mm. as possible. And and this is kind of an interesting thing. When, when we talk about people manipulating or politicking, there's normally like a really bad, that leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Yeah. I'm being manipulative or, or being sneaky. right? But Paul is just following what Jesus said. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus literally says, be cunning as a serpent, innocent as a dove, but cunning as a serpent. Mm. And that word cunning, And that reference serpent literally refers to, like, in the garden, the snake was the most cunning thing. It's talking about, like, basically being, like, sneaky, almost like Satan or almost like the snake, right? It's a little intense, right? Right. And Jesus said, be innocent as a dove, but be just as cunning. And so the comparison I always love to make, when we watch, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, why did that movie get so many remakes was because, man, Jack Sparrow was awesome. Yeah. He was cunning as heck. Right, he was. He was so sly and crafty. Yeah. And we love it. Yeah. And apparently God does too. Yeah. Yeah. He loves it. And so this is what God said. This is what Jesus tells us to do. He says, hey, like we need to be intentional, we need to be strategic, we need to be crafty even about the way that we share the gospel. So what does Paul put all this craftiness into? Getting as many chances to share Jesus Mm. with as many people as possible. And so we see him contextualizing the gospel for people. He's speaking in their own language. Actually, he knows that if he speaks ancient Hebrew, not just like Aramaic, which is like the common day, but if he speaks ancient Hebrew, what Jews hear in a synagogue they're going to stop the riot Mm. so they can hear him preach because that's just how their cultural minds work. So they're about to kill him. Mm. What does he do? Speaks in Hebrew. Starts speaking in Hebrew. And they all shut up and they all listen to his entire sermon. (laughs) Right, yeah. It's crazy. And then they want to kill him again because he starts to cycle up. And then the Romans come in and he's like, oh, perfect. Now I get a chance to preach to Caesar. Mm. And so now he's going to do that. So he's politicking for the gospel. When he gets brought before the Sanhedrin, like the Jewish council, right, Mm -hmm. he knows and says he's thinking in the back of his mind, Hey, they might kill me, but they also might give me a shot if I drop that I'm talking about the resurrection, right? And what's going on behind there, the Sadducees and the Pharisees made up the most of the Sanhedrin at the council. So the Sadducees were people who valued a lot of religious ceremony, but they didn't actually believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in, basically, they didn't believe in anything spiritual. No angels, no demons, no miracles, no nothing. Yeah. And the Pharisees believed in all these things. They had like basically what we would probably call good theology. Mm but paul knows that these two factions are like fi- like have like their own squabbles even though they're making decisions as a whole yeah. and so in the middle of like his declaration when people are starting to get riled up about what he says he's like well, I'm so sorry, I'm just, I, I'm a Pharisee, and so I'm preaching on the resurrection, and I'm so sorry if that makes some of you angry. Mm. And what immediately happens, all the Pharisees, especially like some of the Pharisees who are kind of on the fence, or kind of thinking about the gospel, or maybe even wanted to kill Paul, yeah. immediately say, well, this guy's got a point. This guy's got a point. Right. Nope, we're not going to kill him. him. we got to listen yeah. to him. And you have Pharisees who are Jesus' primary opponents mm. defending the chance to share the gospel. Mm. Why? Because Paul knows how to work their system.
0: Yeah, man. That's so interesting. And I think what's really cool about all of this is, you know, when Jesus tells his followers and what Paul is doing here to be crafty or to be, you know, cunning or be intentional, it's not for their own selfish reasons or selfish gain uh, in like sinful ways, but it's all for the sake of Christ and furthering the kingdom and proclaiming the gospel. And so that's a huge distinction to make here. Right. Um, Like, yeah, Paul is being crafty. Just for the, a reason to share Christ, yes. which is super cool to see through this. Yes, yep.
1: absolutely. But um, yeah, I think it's just one of those really important things that we see just in this like chunk of scripture is just how strategic mm-hmm. and intentional we are called to share the gospel. And and for our students at home, um, man, one of the one of the greatest encouragements is just to be strategic to start to think about what are the strategic ways, what are the systems, the cultures, the the positions, the powers, the privileges that I have to share the gospel and how can i do everything in my power to do that so we just see paul living that out in a really cool way
0: yeah we really do um well perfect well daniel thanks again for a lot of that context all really important um but but, a
1: lot of it a
0: lot of it really important but uh but thanks for that um so here we are chapter 26 we're gonna we're gonna dig into this
1: yes sir so um uh what we're gonna see in most of 26 is paul just giving a testimony just giving his personal testimony, Um, and it comes in basically like an intro and three sections. So there's this introduction. He states his purpose, his statement, um, and then kind of a summary of his life before Christ, how Christ came into his life, and then his life after Christ or, or bring him up to that moment. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, we're not going to read it all because it's a lot, yeah. um, but I'm going to
0: now read a few sections of this or refer to a few sections of yeah. this. So let's start with, I'm going to be reading Acts 26, 3 through 8. And so like Daniel said, this is maybe Paul's purpose statement as he's about to share his testimony. So he says to King Agrippa, who he's before, therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they eagerly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So he leaves with that question. Mm. And then, like Daniel said, he launches into three sections here. And so the first section, 9 through 11, Mm -hmm. uh, Paul is basically describing or explaining his life before Jesus, his life before Christ. Mm -hmm. And then 12 through 18, he launches into how he met Christ on the Damascus Road, which if you've been reading Acts with us, we saw happen in Acts 9. Mm -hmm. And then after that, he launches into uh, the third section, nineteen through twenty-three, where he's talking about, okay, I met Christ, but now here's my life after Christ, and then we've got this intersection between him, uh, Festus and Agrippa, which I'm going to read uh, just a short uh, section on this, and starting at verse twenty-seven. So Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long. I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. So,
0: so Daniel, what's going on here?
1: Whew, yeah, Paul's giving his testimony, and I think just a couple little things. First, we talked about contextualizing the gospel a lot, right? Um, this is a very Greek way of speaking so like having this very organized very like specific and introduction that's a very very greek thing the way he addresses so again we're, we're seeing him contextualize the gospel and he begins with this super clear statement of the gospel i think it's really really important he says it he's on trial because of his hope in the power of god to raise the dead and that's in like verse six through eight mm. but that's kind of how he ends it i think it's super important just to note One of the things that Paul points out, and this is something that we forget in 21st century America here in the States a lot, our salvation lies in the cross, but our hope is in the resurrection. Mm. And so Paul says, hey, I'm here because I believe jesus christ is lord that he's resurrected from the dead that is why i'm here and, and he's super super clear about that that's his purpose um and then he gives this narrative of this testimony and, and kind of like we've talked about uh, it's it's his testimony of how he goes from being a persecutor of the church to encountering jesus and being healed to becoming a missionary of the gospel up to this the very day that he's giving this testimony and, and it's really important he, again he's really organized and really clear and one of these major points he he kind of highlights he says hey This is why I'm here. This is what I'm about to give you. He's super clear about that. And he says, this is who I was before Jesus. This is how Jesus completely changed my life. And this is who I am now. Mm. He's really clear about that. And then he brings Agrippa to the point of decision, like you were talking about, uh, Kyler at the end of that in verses 27 through 29, he literally looks at him and says, "I know you know, yeah, like I know you believe this. I know God's working in you." And it's interesting. He confronts Agrippa. He he kind of confronts Festus, but when uh, he confronts Agrippa with the gospel, he really plainly tells him, "I want you to be a Christian." Mm. Man,
0: that's pretty crazy. That that here is Paul defending his life on trial, and he says, Agrippa. I want you to believe in Jesus today. That's pretty nuts. It's um, pretty insane. Yeah, it really is. And so, so Daniel, maybe let's talk more about this a little bit. What are some major points or, or major uh, takeaways from this section uh, that would maybe apply to our life as we reflect on what Paul is doing here?
1: So... Um, One, Paul brings everything down to his one purpose, and I think that's super important for us. The hope in God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and and I said this before and mentioned this before, but our salvation is in the cross, but our hope is in the resurrection. What we mean by that is uh, Jesus saved us on the cross, Mm -hmm. but what we hope for, what we look to, what we know, the reason why we know we can share in it is in the resurrection, and we often forget that. Mm. In, in American Christianity, we just forget that the resurrection yeah. is where we place our salvation, But and heaven is where we're going, and we talked about that heavenly mindset a couple weeks ago, and it's this clarity of purpose that makes Paul so compelling. Right. There's a, a couple of podcasts on um, leadership that came out over the last year. One of the things they did, they looked at people's voting history, and what you find people vote for is not actually um, authenticity they don't f- vote for integrity what they vote for is clarity of purpose and clarity of vision mm. if you can cast people a clear vision if you can cast people a clear mission whether they like that mission or not they will remember it and they will find it compelling and most people will end up following it mm. if that's they're convinced it's it's fascinating yeah. and so paul takes this to heart and remembers like i'm going to be really clear and i'm going to be really convicted and authentic and it's what makes him so compelling mm. so that's one thing he's super clear about his purpose his purpose is the resurrection what Jesus has done for him, what Jesus has invited him into heaven. And because it's so clear, it's compelling. Um, The second thing I'm going to throw out there is when he gives his testimony, Paul makes the main character Jesus, Mm. not him. That's so good. Paul is Lois Lane being rescued by Superman. He's not the main character. Right. He is the one who has fallen off the building. He's the one who is messing up. Mm. And Jesus comes in, saves him, and that's it. And then we've kind of talked about this before as well, but again, he gives a clear... Um, testimony that's outlined in his life before Christ, how Christ saved him, and then his life with Christ. And when you're given testimonies, that is just historically the most effective and powerful way. You give a clear purpose, Mm. you give clear vision to the resurrection, and then you explain, hey, this was my life before Christ. This is how Jesus saved my life. And then after that, you say, and this is now what he's done for me. This mm. is this is who I am now. Yeah. That's the most effective way to communicate your testimony normally. Right. Holy Spirit might throw, us, throw a wrench in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's the, that's yeah. the normal way to do it. Yeah. And then lastly, when he's sharing his testimony and when he's encountering people and giving this clear vision of the gospel, he brings Agrippa to the point of decision, and that's so important. Mm. And 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 something that's kind of interesting. Agrippa doesn't accept. In fact, most of Paul's witnessing at the end of Acts doesn't result in salvation. Hmm. And so it's just important, especially for our students, just to know uh, you will probably have more um, hard hearts hmm. than accepting ones when you share the gospel. It's still worth it. Right? It is still worth it. We don't evangelize because we need people to accept this message we evangelize first to bring a smile to jesus face mm. so this is what he says he he asked of us mm. right this is the one thing he asked of us this is what we can give him and then the second is because people are dying without him mm. the third and only last one is because we hope they accept yeah so we we, we share the gospel always whether hard hearts are accepting and th- those are just some some really cool things we see paul doing here
0: yeah i think that's really really good uh that's awesome and again, I think we already talked about this, but what a really cool example that we see here on how we can share our story mm-hmm. and point others to Jesus and yeah. make him the hero of our lives, not us the hero of our lives. So that yeah. does it for chapter 26. Like that's, that's chapter 26. But like I said at the beginning, we're finishing this thing today. And so we've still got two more chapters to talk about, uh, briefly, uh, 27 and 28. And so here's what happens next. So after Paul shares this, Agrippa, this is so funny to me, Agrippa basically says, I'm not dealing with this Paul guy. And so he stands up. They all stand up and they just leave. <laughs> and then what happens is they just send Paul to Rome to be held for a little bit longer to go through another trial. Yep. And so is like, I'm not doing this. Uh, and so on the way of, as Paul is going to Rome, uh, Paul and everyone traveling with them, they get shipwrecked. <laughs> but then when they finally get to Rome, uh, Paul, he's kept there in house arrest for years. Yep. But during that time, I think it's so cool to see, we see this in chapter 28, during his time, Paul gets a lot of visitors, and Paul continues to proclaim the gospel to everyone that comes to see him, which is so awesome. But then also, while Paul is in prison, this is where he writes most of his letters to the churches. Mm-hmm. Like, Paul's not just wasting his time when he's in prison, but he is actually writing letters to the churches. These are the letters that we know in the New Testament. Yep, Which is just so awesome that the epistles of the New Testament happen here while Paul is in prison yeah. um, and so even this whole situation with the Jewish leaders versus the Roman Empire and how Paul's gotten mixed up in the middle of that Paul keeps being a faithful minister of the gospel no matter what and this is how the, the the book of Acts ends in these verses it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that is the book of Acts. Boom. Like, there it is. That's it. And so, so Daniel, as we close out today's episode, but really as we close out our entire series on Acts, yeah. we started by saying, you know, Acts 1-8, the mission of the church was this ripple effect to take the gospel where it's not. Mm-hmm. And then we see at the very end, Paul is doing this. He's committed to this. Uh, and so, as we close that out, let's maybe highlight some major takeaways that we've seen through this book. And so... Though the book of Acts is so jam-packed with so much to learn, Daniel, what would you say are some key takeaways for us and our listeners?
1: Yeah, just a couple key ones. And obviously this is not an exhaustive list, but some really big ones. First, um, we contextualize the message of the gospel. uh, Make sure we speak our audience's language. The gospel is transcendent. That's a really big, fancy theological term, which means it fills up and overflows out of any culture, out of any person. Mm. Um, And so... Whoever you're speaking with and wherever you're speaking and whatever culture, whatever context you find yourself, the gospel can penetrate it. Mm. It's a question of contextualizing it. And so making sure that we contextualize our message, we speak our audience's language, but speak the gospel.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because the gospel doesn't change, but maybe how we share it or the components it draws on for the individual or for the culture like that. That yep. does change, and that's really good. Absolutely, so that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, secondly, the gospel must be proclaimed. Yeah. Just like you're saying, even if it costs you everything. Mm. And, and one of the things that I think it's really easy in our context is to forget that the persecuted church still exists today. Mm. And I think um, one of the things we we often forget is that there is an explicit cost to sharing the gospel, mm. um, and we see it over and over again in Acts. But, but if you pursue the Lord long enough, we've kind of talked about this, you'll experience resistance, you'll experience a cost. like Alan was talking about last week, you could even have to give your life for it. Mm. And, and there's just a reality of this cost um, for the gospel that, yeah. that exists. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then lastly, <laughs> mm. I'd say my last point on that, yeah, is that the gospel's still worth it. Mm. Um, it will cost you more than you could ever imagine but it will always be worth it. Mm. One of the things I think about when I, when I think about this um, and when I think about Acts, when I was on a summer project with Crew, I was in an area um, of the world where um, the gospel is minimized and persecuted. Mm. And um, I was ministering to these two um, students, we'll, we'll call their names, uh, Lesser and Karen. Okay. Um, and uh, they were absolutely amazing. They were super hungry for more. They realized that they needed something more in their life. And we started to talk about Jesus. We started to talk about the gospel and they were super hungry and they had just the most powerful um, conversion I think I've ever seen in my entire life. They just instantly, there was this like supernatural moment where they understood the gospel as I was sharing it to them in broken versions of their language. (laughs) And and they were trying to speak in broken English and we Mm. were meeting each other halfway and, and, but they got it. Mm. And I just felt and saw like the light go off and they started to talk about Jesus and they received him into their heart. And there was this terrifying moment where I realized if they continue to follow the Lord, like what I just did sharing the gospel with them probably just ruined their lives. Karen was the number one med student on her campus, oh. pre-med student on her campus. Um, Lesser was the sweetest, one of the sweetest little freshman guys I ever met in my entire life. They had everything in the world going for them. Mm. And I realized in that moment if they continued to follow the Lord, they were probably going to end up giving all that up. Mm. and it was still worth it and right. they knew it was still worth it and um, years later we we kept in like kind of tentative in touch and we yeah. kept in touch through other people and, and right. fellow friends who were going and doing work in that area of the world. and um, I learned that one, uh, just like I'd feared just like I'd been praying for them about, Um, Karen had actually gone out and shared the gospel with everyone on her hall.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Um, Lesser had done the same. Yeah. And sure enough, they had been detained. Mm. Um, Their scholarships and whatnot had been threatened for behavior. Um, They had not been arrested. They had not gotten in trouble yet. They would not officially been caught sharing the gospel, but it was basically they were marked. And there was every likelihood that, that they were not going to be able to, to graduate. They ended up going into ministry, underground ministry, in yeah. a persecuted area where they could be arrested and, and lose everything instead of being incredible, incredibly wealthy, well-off right. um, people. And, and, and in a way, me sharing the gospel with them really did ruin their lives. Mm. But Jesus. yeah, And um, in speaking with them and in um, communicating with them, again, through those other people. Through those in betweens, um, one of the things that kept coming back to it was they just kept saying it's worth it. And I'll never forget what essentially what they communicated back to me was the same thing they communicated to me the day I shared with them the gospel. Um, Karen looked at me and she said, You know, we have a lot of gods in our country. They take and they take and they take and they take. Jesus just gives. Jesus just gives. And so whether, just like Paul, you encounter a lot of hard hearts, just like Agrippa, whether there's a lot of persecution, whether it costs you everything, Jesus is worth it, mm-hmm. and sharing his gospel is worth it. And I think that's really what we see at the end of Acts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Man, Daniel, thanks for sharing that story. And I think it does hit home on, on this point as we see the, the church spreading, and we see the mission of God through his people, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, we must contextualize the gospel to be effective when we proclaim the gospel, it does cost us everything, but Mm -hmm. man, it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth this kind of lifestyle. And so uh, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, Awesome. Well, Daniel, thanks for being here today to to help us finish up this book. And uh, if you're listening, we're really grateful for you sticking with us through this episode and through the entire series. And we're excited for what God's going to continue to do in crew, but also in your life.